your role is really defined by what the needs of the team are, like what your team needs you to do defines your role. Today on the show, we are excited to announce David West as our special guest. David is a New Jersey native and former American professional basketball player. He played college basketball for Xavier University and then went on to play an extensive NBA career for 15 seasons in the NBA for numerous teams, including the New Orleans Hornets, Indiana Pacers, San Antonio Spurs, and Golden State Warriors. He was a two-time NBA All-Star and a two-time NBA champion in 2017 and 2018 with the Golden State Warriors. David West is currently coaching for his AAU team for Garner Roads in North Carolina. We are excited to formally introduce David West. Video analysis is expensive, and I'm sure your budget isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from D1, D2, D3, all the way to high school. Their Angles product is similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of their D1 teams and conferences, such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, A-10, or even the NBC, just to name a few, have made the postseason. All this while saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year compared to their old companies. Because let's be honest, who doesn't want to save more money? All you have to do is reach out to at Fulcrum Tech on Twitter or reach out to their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com via email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member or the Rising Coaches podcast. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rising Coaches podcast. I'm your host, Doug Caputo, alongside Alan Major, and we have a well-known individual today on the show as we are excited to introduce two-time NBA champion, David West. David, welcome to the Rising Coaches podcast. How are we doing? All well. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate you, big fella. Looking forward to this. So obviously there's a lot of things to talk about with your with your career, your experiences and just everything that you've you know had um, success wise um, with basketball. Uh, just to give you a kind of quick download. So first things first, we're going to like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about your experiences, a little about your career as a player. Uh, then we'll get into a little bit about your current organization as well as your own personal coaching experiences. And at the very end, we'll just do a quick segment that we like for we call it three quick hitters. But we'll circle back to before how I mentioned the experiences. So for you, high school, you go on, I believe you you played in a prep school as well, Alan mentioned, and then um, went on to Xavier University and then had a 15-year NBA career. A lot of coaches in that realm, right? I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things. What are some common threads among, like, the best coaches that you've experienced through your career? You know, I got very fortunate because I didn't have, like, bad coaches. I'm one of the few guys I've learned over the course of my – life man i never really had like that bad like the aaron Rodgers thing or uh, <laughs> I mean, every, just about every teammate i've had has had like you know just a disaster of a coach at some at some stage so i was i was very fortunate where i i never experienced that you know didn't always get along with or understand coaches right away mm-hmm. but eventually you know found a common ground you know from like literally from the time i was five or six years old all the way up until i was 38. Um, the one common thing, though, amongst all of those coaches, it's you know, especially the good ones, 
has been concern and care, right? Like a player has to feel like mm. coach cares and has genuine concern for them, whether mm. it's, you know, how deep that concern is, right? Well, I'm concerned about you as an individual. You know, you're not going to have like an interlocking personal relationship with every single coach. Mm-hmm. But generally, man, just knowing that a coach cares, uh, whether it's good or bad, and that he's concerned, he has that genuine concern for you as a human being um, is the common thread that I've found amongst, you know, all of my coaches. Yeah. No, that's a big one, man. In addition to the best coaches, and I think I know the answer, at least one answer to this question, but you might have more. What are the best cultures that you've been a part of? Like, you know, it could be maybe the top two or three or whatever, but then why why were those cultures really good? Right. Well, you know, I would say, you know, I think the the probably the root of it was like the culture that I had at Xavier uh, with the two different groups of, of coaches I had, right, Coach Prosser's. Mm-hmm. Uh, group and then the, the group you were part of with Coach Monaco's major, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Xavier being the type of school that it was, I think it allowed it to sort of incubate, you know, coaching, the relationships, you know, solid program. And so the culture at Xavier was really strong because there was a buy-in from everyone, right? From the administration to the yeah. educators, yeah. all the way to the freaking you know, facilities <laughs> people. Yeah, right, <laughs> so it was right. Just, just general understanding, like, you know, yeah, we do what we have to do to make sure these basketball guys are, you know, we're getting the, you know, optimal results from them, right. Being yeah. on campus and being engaged in the program. So yeah. you know, that was probably the main thing, right. With Xavier and that culture was the fact that everybody was bought in from top to bottom, bottom to top. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that made things work. And then probably mm-hmm. in the NBA, um, I would say it was probably two, Two, because both of, two of them, I think, came from the same tree. But the first one was the one we had in, in Indiana. So I'd gone through mm-hmm. the growing pains of, like, the general NBA growing up uh, as a young player in New Orleans, having to, you know, help rebuild the team, start from scratch, get that team to playoff contention. Right. But when I went to Indiana, my role was different. It was more so to come in as a veteran and help guys who were six, seven, eight years younger than myself yeah. become more professional, professionalize the locker room, turn it into an everyday sort of thing. And mm-hmm. Coach Coach Vogel and uh, in particular, right, probably Dan Burke, Coach Burke, really put the onus on me to, like, you know, go ahead and do your thing. They gave me a lot of license to be vocal. Right, uh, right. Go to locker room. And so in that culture, right, what stood out was, like, the accountability piece. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, guys being held responsible, you know, for their behavior, for their actions, and ultimately <laughs> – having you know everyone geared up toward the importance of a game every single night regardless of who we were playing and so yeah in that culture right it was like the personal accountability like let's grow up let's figure this out Mm -hmm. Uh, and then probably the last two stops i had in the nba right uh san antonio and golden state which are basically one in the same yeah 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 one is same tree san antonio sort of the the progenitor the beginning of it all and then yeah um, Coach Kerr is kind of a you know taking pieces of pop and other places, but mainly pop, you know, just in terms of the structure and again mm-hmm. accountability uh, piece amongst the players. Uh, but more so than anywhere else with Golden State, it was a player-run sort of thing, right? Where yeah, Coach yeah. put the onus on the players to have that ultimate responsibility of how you're prepared and how you're going to perform and having that yeah. cohesiveness as a group. 
mm-hmm. um, which was really different, right, for me because we went there with championship, you know, it was championship or bust going into Golden State. So yeah. we had this certain level of uh, intensity and just everydayness that had to exist in order to get to that that yeah. goal. So, yeah. uh, you know, in, in, in those two spots in San Antonio and Golden State, it's more so about the extreme, you know, structure um, and just an extreme manifestation of professionalism and mm. everyday, what I call everydayness. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Type attitude. Yeah, yeah, almost uh, it, those the best ones. They almost you're almost competing against your standard first, and then the other team. Right, right, right. like right. Right. you know, sometimes yeah. some other some places kind of get caught up in like who we playing. And as a result, they either play up or play down sometimes right. to whoever is on the other side versus, you know, the best ones, even here in Indiana, like you guys are competing against your standards. Right. You know, right. Right. So right. every no. day, right. That everyday attitude. Yeah. Uh, right. Circumstances really are, aren't, re- nothing really changes based on who you're playing. It's right. Maximizing yeah. what you have and, and what you built. Yeah. yeah. And how do you think, I mean, just out of curiosity, like in, especially for us, we're with rising coaches. So we, I mean, a lot of coaches are going to listen to this, like coaches to be able to maintain that standard, especially in the NBA. I mean, you have people going in and out, you have new people coming in on a day, like on a, on a year. I mean, it even could be a day-to-day basis, you right. know? Um, how do you help maintain that, you know, that um, economy? Again, going back to San Antonio and Golden State, an absolute buy-in by your stars, right? Your studs are bought mm-hmm. in. Right. Mm-hmm. So Tim, Manu and Tony yeah. were completely bought in until the day they left, until the day yeah. they retired. They were completely, yeah. absolutely 100 percent bought in. So if they mm-hmm. are bought in, it doesn't matter who you bring in around them. You are right. forced to buy in. Same thing yeah. in Golden State. Right. Steph, Draymond, Clay, those mm-hmm. guys are 100 percent bought into the vision of the of the organization, the vision of the coaches. Yeah. Uh, and then they allow themselves to be, I mean, probably the biggest elephant in the room, right, is allowing yourself to be coached, right? Like that's the biggest message that young players, whether you're a coach teaching young players, whether mm-hmm. you're a parent, whatever it is, you have got to allow yourself to be coached. You have yeah. to buy in. Like it's the most, I mean, and I sometimes I think coaches don't pay enough or, or put enough onus on it or impetus on it. It is the fact that you've got to get buy in from the guys. And sure. we're wasting everyone's time if no one's buying in, right? Yeah. And what I what I what I've learned is as a player, uh, and then now I've, you know I've been coaching grassroots basketball now for like 15 years. So mm-hmm. on both sides of it, I've found that as a player, as soon as I bought in, or the sooner I bought in, the if if I didn't agree with what the coach was saying, the sooner I would be able to prove that he was wrong. Right. It's mm. like that simple. Like if you want me to jump out here and hedge screens or whatever, and I'm telling you that that's not what I'm best suited for, I'm yeah. going to do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But you're going to see like, okay, maybe he was right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm right. Maybe he can't do that. Right. Yeah. When I, went, when I went to Indiana, right, I was coming off of ACL and Dan Burke was like, you got to hedge screens. I said, coach. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 31, 32. I'm like, I can be in this high drop. I think that's the best thing for us. Yeah, so yeah. We went, through it. we went through our our back and forth where I'm hedging and I'm trying, but I'm like that run yeah. back to the opposite big. That's oh, a long way home. Long way now. <laughs> um, right. You know, we adjusted. 
we adjusted. Right. Uh, we had, because again, the year before I got to Indy, I mean, they had Big Roy trying to head screens. And so oh, that was one of the things that when I got there, and this is what I was talking about earlier, Coach Vogel and, and Dan Burke allowed me to, I, I said, look, we probably need to adjust this hedging thing. So we we was, we went back and reverted to a, a high drop, and we yeah. were one of the top defenses in the NBA for as long as I was in Indy. For so, sure, yeah. It, it, you know, you, you have that back and forth, but the, you have to have the buy-in first is what I'm saying. hundred percent. hundred percent. That's perfect. Yeah. And then, I mean, you were talking a little bit about your role before. So obviously when you were a younger guy coming into the NBA, I mean, you, you knew everybody has a role, whether it's like go out and drop 50 a night, you know, or you go out, you, you're the screen setter, rebound, whatever it is. Everybody has a role. Uh, like for you personally, I guess we'll start like when you first come into the NBA and then you even mentioned a little bit later on in the NBA how your role was more to kind of help maintain it and, and bring the um, bring your experience in. Right. But, like talk about what kind of personal was there anyone or anything specific that best helped you thrive in your roles? Right. So, I mean, Coach Mays can attest to this. When I got to New Orleans, I struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, my first year, uh, you know, I went from playing like, you know, 36, 37 minutes a game in college. Right. Like my last two years, I was on the floor all the time. Yeah. And then you go to the NBA and they're basically like, look, you got two 35 year old guys in front of you, young fella. Like, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> contract, you know, you're going to we'll find you some minutes, but you're going to play it. You know, you're going to some nights you're not going to play, but most nights you're going to get, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. If if even in and if you become more productive, yeah, but we're paying these guys like four or five million. We're paying you nine hundred thousand. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, make the most of it. Yeah, you gotta figure yeah. it out. And I struggled yeah. with that. I, I really did. I struggled with that. Yeah. Um, but and, you, I, and, and 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 they never lost that much either. Right, 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 right. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a two. There's two things. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a constant, you know, just back and forth within mm-hmm. myself to figure out like how can I get comfortable. Uh, how can I you know, get comfortable enough to really engage and go after it and start working? Um, so it took yeah. some time. And then we had mm-hmm. a coaching change going into my second year in New Orleans, which was a complete shift because it went from, OK, we got this young team to we're going to totally be we're like the worst team in the NBA rebuilding. Right. We had like mm-hmm. you were just saying, we had probably 10 or 12 guys, you know, new guys come in 10 days that season. Uh, we were just right. I was banged up, missed a lot of games. It was just. Mm-hmm. A disaster um but then i had to buy in that summer um you know sat down with coach scott and some of his assistants um he's like yo you you know you're you're gonna be a starter you know coming out i had earned a starting spot in my second year but got hurt mm-hmm. third year it was clear cut like you're gonna you know get the minutes you're gonna play um, right and i was able you know they brought chris paul in so i had a point guard that could yeah that could really distribute the basketball and push that helps so Um, Right. So, you know, things changed. Uh, But again, your role, your role is really defined by what the needs of the team are, like what your team needs you to do defines your role. And in my Mm -hmm. opinion, like you could, you know, in high school and college is one thing, but everybody's good in the NBA. So, you know, one guy I like to use as an example is, is, is Kurt Thomas, right? Kurt Thomas was like one of the top scorers in college basketball when he was at TCU, I believe. TCU. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it wasn't just like 19 a game. It was like 25. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I had <laughs> yeah, you know, 20 for sure. Ball, right. Absolutely. He comes into the NBA and he had, he settled in the eight or 10 points per game. 
Like mm-hmm. sometimes even less, right? He complete like I didn't know Kirk Thomas was a scorer until one day in my we were literally playing against each other. He goes, Yo, young fella, you need to look me up. Like I <laughs> right. Right. all I knew was he was just a rebounder, rough played hard, yeah. tough energy. Defense. Yeah, right, right. And that was it. But then yeah. I, I said, Oh my god, this guy used to be a, like a dynamic, prolific scorer. Big but time. again, your role changes you know, when you get into the NBA, because you've got to buy into what the team needs you to do. For sure. Um, and a lot of, I've seen guys, you know, lose careers where their careers aren't even, you know, don't even get started because they can't grasp that. Yeah. You got to redefine just, yourself. Right. Yeah. Just adjust a little bit. You still, who you know, you still are who you are. And yeah, again, it's still in there, but that's not what is necessary for this team. That's not what's necessary for you to have a, have a career, but buy-in, right. Um, buy-in yeah. and then, Probably the, the last thing I would say would be just having that awareness of who you are, right, and what mm-hmm. you can do, uh, and that might change, right. So I'm in in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think I led the team in scoring four out of the four or five seasons down there, right. Yeah. Then I go mm-hmm. to Indiana off of ACL uh, surgery, 31 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got to figure out what you need to do here, right. Yeah, That's different than what you were doing or who you were in New Orleans. And so I just embraced my role. I went in there. My job was to professional, you know, sort of professionalize things, make these guys get more serious, control the locker room. Right. right. You know, our attitude was let's hit first. Let's win confrontations in the paint, you Mm -hmm. know, become a physical team because that's what coach Vogel wanted to do. He wanted. Yeah. The year before I got there, they had Roy Hibbert down to like 235 pounds. Wow. Coach, Coach, Coach Vogel says, D West, I want you guys big. I said, What do you mean big? He said, I want you big. <laughs> Right. Give me a number. <laughs> right. Give me a number. <laughs> what do you mean, big? <laughs> and so I said, All right, coach. I mean, he said, I want you to push it. So, you know, in Indiana, that was the heaviest I ever was in my career. Yeah, right? I really in my life, I've never, I've never even been close to that size. Uh, same with Roy. Um, yeah. They had Roy down in the two thirties and I'll never forget it. When we went into game seven against Miami, he and I literally just were in the, we happened to be in the locker room around the scale at the same time. <laughs> I got on the scale. I got on the scale. I was 273. Oh my God. Roy got on the scale. He was 298. Oh my God. And, that, and that was the size we went in went wow. into uh yeah and i just remember saying well we did what coach asked like we yeah got right <laughs> yeah and game seven so i guess right. he, i guess he was right you know right. we got big right yeah you know, we got big so like and, and that was our advantage right so we went from for sure you know indiana went from a team that was like ac to you know we were competing at the top of the east for the next few years uh yeah. dominant defense physical defense you know we were mm-hmm. able to just physically beat people up over the course of um you know, those seasons. So again, your role and who you are just when I go yeah. to San Antonio, uh, go to Golden State, I heard Pat Riley give a speech or give a, he was in an interview and he said that what he's found in his career is that the older guys get, they eventually have to lose weight in order to stay productive for in sure. the later stages of their career. So yeah. I sat yeah. down and wrestled with that for about, you know, two months. And so mm-hmm. when I went, uh, when I decided to go to San Antonio that summer, I uh, really started just cutting back because I said, okay, if I'm leaving Indy, we don't have to be big. Right. I got to get back. I got to get my weight down. And I felt yeah. like I had some more pro- some more productivity in my in my body. So <laughs> lost sure. weight, slimmed up a little bit. 
again, changed who I was physically so I could be a little bit more mm -hmm. productive. Yeah. Coach Kerr doesn't really deal with the post-up stuff, right? So I had to be a facilitator there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High post. Yeah, more fluid. Um, yeah. And then switch, right? Play switches and be able to guard guard. So yeah, um, yeah. I had to lose some weight. I couldn't be 265. <laughs> right, right. Running around trying to you know, do switches and things. So again, where you are and what the team needs, right, to me is what defines your role. Big time. Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. So I guess, uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, now we'll kind of flip the script a little bit, get into a little bit of your coaching experiences. I understand you're, you are coaching right now, as you mentioned, Garner Rhodes. Um, that's your yeah. that's your AU team and as well as your sons on the AU team, correct? Yeah. 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 So, so I've been, yeah, I've been I've been coaching uh, AAU. Really, I mean, since I'm going to tell you where I started coaching for real. I started coaching in college. Um, and it was one of the best things Coach Prosser ever introduced to me. Um, so Coach used to make us coach his, his, uh, his summer camps. And most coaches just kind of, you know, say, you know, just stand there, play with the kids, whatever. His, you know, yeah, his, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sign autographs. And, well, yeah, Prosser right. wasn't with that. He, right. he, he sat us down and said, I want you guys coaching. I want you officiating. Right? We were running little practices. He said, mm -hmm. I want you to have you know, three to five plays or actions that you teach the kids. And I want you to show them the defense that we've showed, you know, that we've taught you guys since you're here, Xavier. So, I, you know, after the first summer of my freshman year, I did that. I was like, man, this actually makes you a better player, too. Like, it, That's for sure. You, you're hearing yourself tell yeah. kids the things that coaches are asking you to do. So you're like, yeah. hey, okay. Sometimes shocking yourself, what you say. Right, right, right. You know, that's where it started. And then um, I just, I really got a kick out of working with kids and, and and watching them get better. You know, when I was at Xavier, I'd be pretty intense in the summertime. Like, in oh, yeah. and it would, I mean, it would get heated, but I would really get a kick out of, you know, the parents saying, man, my, you know, my kid really enjoyed the weekend because you mm -hmm. were into it, you were intense. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. got yep. something out of it. For sure. Um, so I started work as soon as I got into the NBA. Um, I started working with the program that I played with played for when I came to North Carolina, which was Garner Road Basketball Club. Uh, I spent just about every weekend when I first moved down to North Carolina, I spent just about every weekend in the gym, you know, playing literally at the at, at Garner Road Basketball. So mm -hmm. um when I got in the NBA, my brother had moved down, my family had moved down, my nephew was pretty young. Um, but I had just started, my brother was working in the program. So I started working around and just hanging around the kids, you know, just working with them in the gym in the summertime. I, it was always a tool to, you know, stay active and engage with the young minds, but it's yeah. also been helping me get better because I'm teaching the game. Absolutely. Things articulated um, yeah. helped me shape, you know, shape myself. So I, I did it, you know, again, every year I was in the um, NBA, I coached the team in the summer, eventually got to a point where I was coaching, you know, my team right so mm -hmm. i was helping my brother first and in 2016 i took a, a team through with a couple of buddies of mine and then 2020 we did the same thing with another group of kids that we grab them in seventh grade and then coach them all the way through having to make some adjustments you know here and there but the yeah. main thing is um you know with grassroots sports now it's you don't have much time so it's a, it's quite a challenge because you're trying to implement you know certain ideas and characteristics for kids and at our level um, we play on circuit, so we have to have kids ready or prepared to look well in front of college coaches, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because mm -hmm. college coaches are sitting around the court, so we've got to get guys 
who just know how to play or at least can make the right plays when they're supposed to in front of in front of coaches. It's a different it's a different dynamic than being a high school coach where you have practices and you have yeah. whole season right time right. to really implement things. Uh, we get like two weeks. You know, I push it back a little more. I try to get engaged a little earlier, but we get like two weeks to basically prepare these kids for some of the biggest moments of their young lives, which again, that I don't control the system. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. You know, I just, we get like four months with them. And in that four months, man, we spend a lot of time with young people just trying to impart from my perspective, the things that I know worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I try to make sure that I, I always, when I had a, I had a coach, Jim Boylan, when he was with me in Indy and he used to yeah, tell he's me, back. He's back here now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah he, he came say, back. Coach, yeah. Coach Boylan used to say like D West, don't forget what it's like to be a player. And he knew how much I, I love coaching and stuff like that. But he said, like, as you move on and you become a coach, whatever said, don't forget what it's like to be yeah, you know, in on the player side in the locker room, he said, because that that's the best way to connect with guys. Like always remember mm-hmm. kind of yeah. some of the things that you felt or how you felt if you didn't do well and how you'd want to be communicated to. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm coaching young, young mm-hmm. people. Um, when you work, you know, working with you know really young kids, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, just trying to help them get the basics down. Yeah, um, preaching that you know, preaching fundamentals, right, mm-hmm. um, and preaching right, like making the right play regardless of if it's the same play if it's the right play to make it continues to make it right telling them that it comes down to the basics you know highlight culture has kind of made it harder yeah yeah over time it's so much harder yeah (laughs) yeah you know so hard but i try to tell parents at least i say yo don't watch the highlight watch the three seconds before the highlight like that's where the Mm -hmm. the learning is um yeah for sure but it's it's it, it it's the environment the world that we live in but you know, we try to find ways to constantly engage, um, hit the players and, and communicate with them and get a hold of their minds so that they can go out and apply the things that you're that yeah. you're Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's funny you mentioned that because especially highlight culture, I was coaching a prep school uh, a couple of years ago and you always get these kids that they try to do all these flashy passes. And I'm like, I am, I am strictly your basic. Like I, I want fundamentals fun- and nobody wants to hear fundamentals. Right. Like it's just like, all right. All right. Well, we're in high school. We're going to be going to college now. Like we, we know what we're doing. I'm like, all right, then, then figure it out yourself. You right, know? Right, right. Um, oh man. I'm glad you said that. Uh, so like, <laughs> so I mean, I know you talked a little bit about it too, but just really, because it sounds like you've been coaching one for with Garner Rhodes since middle school kids, high school kids. Right. Um, I mean, just do you have any advice working with, especially middle school kids and high school kids? Because a lot of people that would listen with us are college and pro coaches, um, but we're also trying to tap into more of like the high school and and I mean, of course, youth as well. Right. Do you have any big advice? Obviously, you covered a, a great amount, but any more advice like for any any coaches with high school and middle school that maybe that you could throw out. Right. Well, I would say, you know, focus. So I, I like to focus on kids' strengths. And I, I want, I always tell people like you're defined by your strengths, not by your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, if you allow people to define you by your weaknesses, then that's where you'll be defined. But, you know, I, again, Jim Boylan, um, which, you know, he told me about Clyde Drexler, right? And he was like, Clyde Drexler never could go left, right? And so one day he's like, Clyde, you got to work on your left. And he says, Clyde says to him, hey, they can't stop me going right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Going right. I'm not, you know, so yeah. 
all right, he could go left, but basically I'm going to go right. And then when, you know, you get in the NBA, you realize like that's the calling card of elite players, right? Like you do yeah. it, you go to your strengths. They're not going to yeah. go, like Tim Duncan's going to his right hook. Like you're not yeah. going to stop it. And he exactly. knows you're trying to stop it, but he's going to get to his hook. Same thing mm-hmm. with Elton Brand with his left shoulder. Like Elton's going to get to his left shoulder. I don't care yeah. if you're jumping, sitting on the left, he's going to get to yeah. it. So K- KD with his pull up. Yeah, you can yeah. yeah. so forget about it. Forget about it. So ultimately, when we're talking about young players, I just think part of the misconception is we we focus too much on their weaknesses. And, yeah, we want to work and get them better. Mm -hmm. But if you want a confident group of kids, if you want a a group that feels like they can go out and on any given night beat anybody, get them focused on their strengths. Get them completely uh, and totally bought in on what they do well. If you got a guy that can only play defense, and I learned this from Coach Vogel, like you, 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 you build guys up to their strengths, and then you start working on the other stuff, right? So, you, you know, he had Roy Hibbert. Uh, you know, he had Roy competing at the very top defensively in terms of uh, defensive centers all time. If you look at the defensive seasons that Roy put together, just yeah. statistically, he, you know, for those couple seasons, man, he's got all-time all-time stats, right? For sure. He brought into the, the the straight up. When everybody was talking about, Roy, you need to be the shot blocker, shot blocker, Coach Vogel said, no, we're going to work on these straight ups. And he became yeah. a wall at the rim. He yeah. changed the NBA game with, with sure. those straight ups, right? Everybody yeah. started teaching it after that. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the fact that Coach was focusing on Roy. You know, some you know Roy wasn't some at times the most efficient one-on-one post player. Coach yeah. never focused on that. But he exactly. said, okay, yeah. You define yourself by your defense and the presence that you bring defensively. So Roy's yeah. confidence went through the roof because yeah. Roy went out there every single night and felt like he was the best defensive center in the NBA, and he right. played like it most nights. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. know, and so you if you if you get guys confident in what they can do, and then when you're in the gym, you're working on their weaknesses, but ultimately yeah. allow them to define who they are by their strengths. You're going to get a much more confident group of kids. You're going to get a much more sure. willing group of kids. Like they'll be willing to go out and just get after it. And they may yeah. be outmatched or outgunned, but they're going to go out there and be confident and give it their best, you know, against, you know, whoever. Yeah, I agree. Dave. And, you know, especially when, and this probably goes for all levels, but kids especially is reframing their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because most kids, you know, they make a mistake, the head drops. And if you can kind of just reframe that is, hey, this is a golden opportunity now. Let's put a spotlight on this for the good. Right, right. Like every mistake you make is a golden opportunity to learn and get better. So now it's not like, oh, I did great or I, I was awful. Right. It's like, let's let's just reframe this mistake. And, you know, you're standing in the art gallery and two people are looking at a picture like, hey, come over and look at it from my side of the room. My side, right. not, not as bad as you think it was. Right. Right. So I think that's a big deal with kids, too, is just, you know, I think that they can dwell on that stuff for three or four or five plays, four right. or five minutes later. They're still hanging on to that. So right. I think coaches can do a great job of helping guys, not just kids and girls, obviously, at all levels, just reframe the mistake. Like, hey, this is a chance to get better as opposed to, oh, I just I suck for that five, five minutes. Right. 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 So. And then just to kind of tie it all together, like there was a question I was curious. So at least I'll, I'll give you an example. But like basketball aside, obviously, everybody says it's bigger than basketball. It's bigger than basketball. And, and I mean, I'm a firm believer and I'm sure many people are. Um, but like what all life lessons do you feel like you've learned 
from specific coaches. So like, for instance, me, me growing up, obviously nobody necessarily cares too much about my stories, but um, me growing up, like I, I learned, I feel like time management and discipline from my high school coach, no doubt about that. And I still, to this day, will call him and thank him about that. And, and one of my closest people now, and I only had him for one year and it's crazy, but I learned these, these personal skills. Like, was there anything for your, for your experience? Do you, do you think like there was any personal um, life lessons that you've taken away? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when I was at, um, at Hargrave, um, that kind of helped me center basketball. So Coach Keats, who's the head coach at NC State now, he was the assistant at Hargrave, but he helped me do that kind of – I learned that from him, and I've always kept that just like you're here for basketball, so center it, right? So mm-hmm. now nah, when you have free time here, it's not about playing video games or going hanging out on the phone. Like you're here to play basketball, so your free time should be toward basketball, right? So he helped me. Um, and then it just in my life, right. I went on to play pro. So like it was, it was, I was able to adjust at every single level because I knew how to center basketball. Like I knew how to center, like I never got to college and was delusional about the reason I was in college. Like I was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for basketball. So basketball was what I centered. And then you go to the NBA and this, again, it's a career killer for guys because they get to the pros and then they center something other than the sport. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The perks. Right. It was, it was really, and again, if I don't learn how to really hold things off and keep things on the periphery and center basketball, the next steps never happen. Right. I, I, I don't, maybe I don't even choose Xavier because I, I go to college for a different reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I don't send sure. basketball while I'm at school, maybe I I'm diverted because now you're at school, you got girls, you got all this other stuff that can distract you. Now mm-hmm. you have more free time than you've ever had in your life. If you're not able to center basketball, your career takes a turn that you're not happy with. So um, yeah, that was you know, that was probably in terms of just a very core beginning point. Um, that was mm-hmm. one of the things that I know from from in terms of like how my life is structured that taught me how to keep it, keep basketball at the center, right? Yeah. Disrupting nothing in my life could disrupt basketball because if if basketball got disrup- disrupted, my life got disrupted. Yeah. Everything's off the rails. Yeah. No, no doubt. So, yeah. So probably that, that little piece of it and just being able to center basketball early on made transitions from, you know, stage to stage, coach to coach, step to step. It just made it smooth. Cause I never got to losing a about, why I was where I was in the first place. It was all, all about. Yeah. That. Yeah. What's that phrase? Sure. Uh, I, I think Brian uses it all the time to keep the main thing, the main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be showing this clip to a lot of my guys. So thank, thank you. For <laughs> <laughs> keep your priorities straight. All right. Yeah, um, no question. So, so what we'll do now is we will cut to a quick segment that um, we ended up starting. It's a, we call it the three quick hitters. Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to shoot three quick questions, very basic, nothing crazy um, questions at you and just short, quick responses. And we'll go through it a couple seconds. Okay. All right. So number one, wait, favorite I meal. Wait, I can't wait for this. Favorite meal. <laughs> favorite meal. Favorite meal. Uh, uh, go to. What's your go to? Go to. It's, it's a breakfast, but it's my comfort food. Uh, it's grits, eggs, and turkey bacon. Okay. You still okay. mix it all up together? All, all. <laughs> you put ketchup on all that? I first saw you, you do that. You put ketchup on all that, yeah. 
I first saw you do that at a team breakfast at Xavier. I was like, what in the hell is you <laughs> doing? It's everything all mixed up. To this and day. You just, you just stuck your face in it, man. I'm like, hey, if it's going to get you 20 and 10, then keep doing it, brother. And you know. what's crazy is my, my son's picked it up. That's his comfort food. Like, if he's not wow. feeling well and he – Daddy, can you – yes, I got you. We'll, How about we'll that? eat it together, yep. Wow. Love it. Um, how many pairs of shoes do you own? Oh, <laughs> bro, a lot. I just say, a yeah, lot. well, a 200, lot. 200. Oh, at least, at least, at least, Ooh. at least. Yeah, at least. See, Alan was saying before, he goes, I don't know if he would have that many. Oh, he, no. he must be shocked, huh? I don't wear that many, but I have that many. Yeah, yes. I find, you know, a couple <laughs> pairs that I like, uh, but I got a lot of shoes. Over and then the you just collect them. People send you shoes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I still got like my shoe guy, my my shoe guys from the NBA. They still send me a box. Just I'm like, okay, bro, I got nowhere for this stuff to go. But <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, DJ got some stuff waiting on him. At least. Oh yeah, he just, so, he's man. almost there too. He's in a. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and then the career highlight out of everything you're most proud of. Mm. Oh. Had a man. bunch of them. Had a bunch man. of them, man. Yeah, what I we did. We stumped them, huh? We stumped yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. You know, what I, I, you know, I like what we did in Indy as like mm-hmm. a career moment. I also like, you know, what we did in New Orleans. You know, obviously winning the championships. Yeah, uh, yeah. They all, they all got their place. Yeah, like, um, yeah. You know, individually, I don't know. Just like getting res- probably the biggest moments. I'll say this. I, how about this? Individually, the best moments was like when I knew guys that I grew up idolizing respected how respected my game. Like that is, I don't mm. hear a lot of guys talk about that, but that was that literally right now. I mean, I just got chills, man. Like that's one of those things. Yeah, like yeah, as, yeah. As a basketball player, like when you know, like Magic Johnson thinks you're a good basketball player, like that's a Ooh. big deal, man. Like wow. it, you know, like I, that's a big deal. I, I just got a few myself, man. Yeah, oh, man. Goodness. I'm telling you, man. Wow. You know, mm. I've, I've been a basketball lifer, so to get the respect from guys like that, oh my goodness, you know, um, meant you know meant a whole world to me. I mean, to be honest yeah. with you, man, and I was a fa- I'm a fan of the game. I've always been a fan, and when you're competing against guys, you try not to be. You can't be a fan of a guy you're trying to beat, but right, right, you know, it's human, human, you know, human nature to be like, man, I I watch this guy on TV. I had this guy's poster up in my room. Yeah, and then here he is. Yeah, you know, I'd have bad games in high school. I'm talking to the poster and, you know, know, I mean, I would do all, I did all that stuff, you know. So um, when you get to that level and then to know that you gained, you know, you've gained their respect, Mm -hmm. um, that's a a different thing, man. And I wasn't one of those guys that, you know, every time I, I took a step, I'd be like, dang you did it again like sometimes yeah. you can't really explain how things just happen or mm-hmm. why things are happening for you the way they're happening for you yeah um they just happen and right i've always been one of those people i've just appreciated every step every little thing every big thing 100 percent. Um, when somebody knew you know like you know somebody knows your name like it's like you know yeah. who i am bro like for real. <laughs> yeah yeah that you know, those are the types of moments in terms of career highlights like that. I, yeah, that I probably cherish and makes me feel better than 
a lot of the other stuff. I had big games and yeah, yeah, like that. But it was more so those types of things that really, mm-hmm. you know, made me feel or like it was all worth it. You know what? All the time I invested and having the respect of those guys just meant a yeah. lot. It still For does. Sure. So yeah, I like that answer. Yeah, great stuff, man. So. One thing and final question we got for you. All right. We're going to ask this to everybody. So as you know, I mentioned before, like rising coaches, we are an organization to be able to help coaches kind of start at the lower tier, move up in the ranks and so on. Do you have any, or I should say your best top advice. So you've obviously gave us a lot of advice for coaches, but for a coach to be able to move from, you know, one ranks to another ranks and moving up in the chain, what's your best piece of advice and how can they accomplish that? Win big, man. Win big. If you're a freaking middle school coach, win multiple middle school championships. If you're a high school coach, win the you know win the conference three, four, five times. Win, go after the state championship. Just go after the biggest stage to win on. That would be the that would be my advice. If you're no matter what level you're at, if you're an NAIA or you want to move, you're a head coach. Even if you're an assistant coach. you know, invest in winning, 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 because winning sells. If somebody knows that you're a winner, you come from a winning background, they'll be willing to take a chance on you. So for sure. You know, yeah. I know people like to have, you know, playbooks and right, right. I got a big playbook. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, folks want to have a lot of the, the bells and whistles, yeah, and analytics talk and all that stuff, a great presentation. Yeah. Right. But if you can put up on a board, hey, I've won. 145 games and we lost 19 while I've been at this school. Right. That does more than anything else. So yeah, for sure. win no matter what, win at the level that you are and you'll get opportunities to move on. Yeah. And, and, and continue to almost like you just talked about before we signed on practicing what you preach, right? You're still right. work in the gym with kids and you keep yourself in shape. I mean, you're going to weights right after this. Right, right, right. You know? <laughs> so I think coaches can take that same page out of the whole book is like, you know, develop ourselves the same way we ask players to develop themselves. Right, right, right. You know, like don't be the same coach two years in a row. Like add just like we tell players, come back in September. You had one or two things. You don't have to change the whole deal. But over the course of time, you're just going to keep improving. And right. that's uh, kind of our theme with rising coaches is not just advance in the profession, but we also want to raise the profession as a whole. So help guys individually raise themselves. Right. But also everything we talk about is to raise the profession regardless of level. So right. I think, Absolutely. I think practicing what we preach as far as just keep getting better. Um, you know, that's a big part of it as well. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you yeah. this, man, Popovich, Popovich was still running suicides when, when he said everybody, he said loser runs and the coaches lost. Yeah. He got out there 75, 76. <laughs> I saw him doing that with the USA guys. I saw yep. that. Yeah. If yep. he ever beat anybody, you know there was trouble out there. Right. 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 Well, David, I mean, that's everything that we had. Do you have anything else before we wrap up and, and any final comments, remarks, anything? Well, like I said, man, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, you know, coaching, I think you get the most out of you get the most out of coaching when you know you're getting the most out of the kids you're coaching. Like that's when coaching becomes like, fulfilling, right? Is when you know what you're teaching, what you're putting into this person mm-hmm. is 
uh, is sticking, but then you're also to see you you're you're able to see it coming out and manifesting. I think that's where you get that yeah. that fulfillment. So you know, keep investing in young people, right? Keep pushing the game forward, uh, despite the challenges that the NBA is presenting for some of us basketball purists. Uh, right, and college pushing. college too now. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Yeah. Keep, yeah. Just, just keep pushing the game forward and keep you know keep uh keep kids engaged and I just for me I want to keep introducing the game to kids younger and younger um help them get you know get the foundations down and then see where they can go from there love it brother. perfect love it love it well so that's it for us today with rising coaches again really want to thank you David West for being on the call today sharing your experiences with us and everything great information also want to thank our wonderful listeners today for tuning in with us today And that does it for another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Caputo, alongside Alan Major, and keep working, keep rising coaches. Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one selling shooting machine in basketball by providing the most innovative game-like training, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics that allow coaches and players to be better every day. Everybody's trying to get better every day, right? Why not use Dr. Dish Basketball? All you have to do is mention the Rising Coaches Podcast or you're a member of the Rising Coaches Organization for an exclusive discount on your own personal Dr. Dish. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.